What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a great day. It is an NBA-loaded podcast for you today. Joel Embiid goes for 52 points last night, so you know we're talking about the MVP race. On top of that, the Western Conference is starting to shake out. We're going to get into that a little bit as well. It's an absolutely loaded show. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. has only heated up as the year has gone on. Joel Embiid goes for 52 last night on national television. TNT, everybody tuned in to watch them play against the Celtics. The 76ers grab the win. Joel Embiid goes for 52 on 20 of 25 shooting from the field. Just an absolutely monster game, an absolutely dominant game from the most dominant player in the NBA as of right now. But here's the truth. You get on Twitter, you see the Doc Rivers comments, he just scored half of our points, the MVP race is over. You know, there's there's this idea that the MVP race is over, even though there's still, you know, three or four games left. Giannis could go for 60. Jokic could go for 40, 10, and 15. Things can still happen. The MVP race is not over yet. Now, obviously, Joel Embiid made a huge statement last night going for 52. But what I'm going to do here today to open up the show is I want to lay out the case for Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic to all win the MVP. So let's start with Giannis. Let's just be honest here. He is the best player in the world. He is the best player on the team with the best record in the NBA. Anytime you have those two things going for you, you can win the MVP award. On top of that, the Bucks have the best record in the NBA despite Chris Middleton, their second best player, missing 47 games. Now, if I said that that was all because of Giannis, that just wouldn't be fair. That would just simply not be true. Okay, Drew Holiday has been a big part of that. But a lot of it has been because of Giannis and what he does not only on offense but on defense as well. Between him and Bede and Jokic, he is the best defender. Simply because he can guard the one through the five. okay, He's a difference maker on the defensive end. Did you see the block he had against the Wizards last night? The full court rundown, chase down block from behind. I mean, Embiid and Jokic can't do that. They can't. The impact he has on both ends is just staggering. Okay, He's, He's averaging 31 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists on the year. Okay, like this, the numbers are there. He's the best player on the best team. That is the case. Short and simple. Best player, best team. You can give him the award. Okay, He's more than deserving of it. He's carried his team all year long through injuries. And he's been just the absolute steady points for that team. Moving on to Embiid. Embiid's been the most dominant player in, in the league this year. From start to finish, he's been awesome. Okay, when he catches the ball at the free throw line or below, it's an automatic two points. You can just put it up on the board immediately. Okay, he's leading the league in scoring while also shooting 55% from the floor. 55% from the floor and he's leading the league in scoring. Just uber efficient. He's been awesome this year. He's been insane here recently especially, right? Just on an absolute tear. And whenever 
I'm looking at MVP MVP cases, and it's always fun to go look at former MVPs and compare numbers. So who who reminds me of Joel Embiid? Shaquille O'Neal, right? Both extremely dominant, big, physical, athletic presences on the low block. And look, Embiid has really similar numbers to Shaq. When Shaq won his when Shaq won his MVP in the 1999 to year 2000, um, you know Embiid's scoring is a little bit higher. You know he's at 33, Shaq was at 31. Uh, Embiid's not rebounding quite as well, like 10 and a half as opposed to Shaq's 13. And here's the thing, though, he's not just doing it offensively. His defensive presence has been really important for the 76ers. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the struggles that the 76ers have whenever he isn't on the floor. And a lot of that, you know, is on offense, but ultimately, like, when you have guys like James Harden and Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey and guys who can shoot the ball, which the 76ers do have, they can find a way to piece it together on the offensive end of the floor. The issue is on defense. Okay, like, let's just look at last night. When Joel Embiid wasn't on the floor, they were outscored by 15 points. And that wasn't because of the lack of offense from the 76ers or the lack of offensive ability from the 76ers, simply because they don't have any rim protection when he's not on the floor. Okay, every time you see a guy drive to the basket, when Joel Embiid's on the floor, they're they're rushed. There's like this hurry of, oh, I got to get it off before he comes over, because he's just he's been great protecting the rim all year long. And then you know whenever they move him off the floor, you know you got guys like Tobias Harris and James Harden who can't stay in front of their guys, and then the lane opens up, you know all of a sudden you're getting layups instead of you know a, a contested layup. So I think that his defensive presence has been extremely valuable, maybe more more valuable than his offensive presence, and he's leading the league in scoring. He's been great on both sides of the ball, dominant not only on the offensive end, but also dominant on the defensive end. Okay, like There's a real argument to be made that he's more valuable defensively than he is offensively simply because of the team that he's on and the lack of perimeter defenders that the 76ers have, really outside of Melton and P.J. Tucker. He's been great for them offensively and defensively. The most dominant player in the league. There's nobody who can stop him. Yet alone match up with him. Okay, like there's no good matchup in the NBA where you can go, oh, like we've got, you know, this guy guarding Embiid tonight. I feel like okay about that. Yeah, that that doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Whereas, you know, when you're the Celtics playing against the Bucks, it's like, you know, we can throw Yon, we can throw Tatum at Giannis, then we can throw J- Jalen Brown at Giannis, and you know, Horford can give us a few minutes here and there, and Marcus Smart, he he can m- maybe slide onto him here for a little bit. Like there are options to throw at Giannis. There are options to throw at. Uh, at Nikola Jokic, just take any athletic big man like, you know, Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis or anybody like that. Whereas Embiid is the only guy in the league where there is absolutely no option that you feel comfortable with. Moving on to Nikola Jokic, the back-to-back MVP. Here's his case. He's won two MVPs in a row, and he's better this year than he was the last two years. And on top of that, he leads in all the advanced stats. All of them. E- even the defensive ones. Even the defensive ones, which is pretty insane. He's like 10th in d- defensive win shares, and he's number one in defensive box score percentage and all the crazy things like that. I, I don't want to bore you with just a whole bunch of NBA stats, but here's a few offensive ones that are really important. 
He's number one in player efficiency rating. He's number one in true shooting percentage at 70.2%, which is wild. Uh, he's sixth in total rebound percentage, but he's in front of Giannis and Embiid. And he's second in, in assist percentage behind only a point guard in Tyrese Halliburton. And I think that the most incredible part about all of this is when you see these numbers, you would just assume that he just has the ball all the time. And he doesn't. He is 32nd in usage rate. Kristaps Porzingis has a higher usage rate than Nikola Jokic. That's insane. That just like that shouldn't be true. And then you compare his numbers to Giannis, who is first in usage rate, and Embiid, who's third. Uh, Luka Doncic is second. And then it just it brings a whole new light to the subject, where he's this valuable and he doesn't have the ball in his hands like ever. Maybe not like ever, but you know what I mean. There's value in being able to have an impact without always having to have the ball in your hands. There's value in being able to give Jamal Murray the ball and let him create offense for himself and for other guys. There's value in being able to give Michael Porter Jr. the ball and let him go create offense for himself and himself only because Michael Porter Jr. does not pass the basketball. But that's beside the point. There's so much value in being able to do things without having the ball in your hands. And that is one of the things that I really love about Jokic and is the thing that isn't talked about enough when it comes to his value and his case for most valuable player. Okay, Because not only is he great when the ball's in his hands, but he doesn't have to have it in his hands. And the numbers stay the same. The efficiency stays the same. So ultimately, whenever you're casting your, your, MVP, your MVP ballot, you have, you have a decision to make. You can vote for the best player. If you want to do that, you would vote for Giannis. You want, to, you want to vote for the most dominant player, for the guy that nobody in the league can match up with, then you would vote for Embiid. Or if you want to vote for efficiency, you would vote for Nikola Jokic. Now, I'm really wrestling with who I want to vote with. Like This is a really close race between all three guys. We haven't really had an MVP race like this in a long time. I can't tell you the last time. Like Usually by this point in the year, everybody knows it's this guy or it's this guy. If I had to predict who I think they're going to give it to, I think they're going to give it to Embiid. I don't think that's necessarily who I would vote for. I think as of today, I would vote for Giannis, best player on the best team. You know, has won a lot of games, even with Chris Middleton not playing. I I think I'd give my vote to Giannis. But at the same time, we got Jokic, who's just been incredible all year from start to finish. All three of these guys have. So we'll see what ends up happening. Either way... Whoever, whoever is given the MVP award is going to be deserving of it, and ultimately I think that that's what matters. I will say one last thing about Jokic. If he averages a triple-double, I don't know how they're going to get out of not giving it to him because the precedent has already been set that if you average a triple-double, then we're going to give you the MVP award, no matter how good or bad your team is. And he's you know currently averaging like 9.8 assists a game, so he's really close. We'll see what ends up happening. So we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt, going to get into the Western Conference and just how all the seeding in that breaks down. Mainly going to be focusing on Phoenix, L.A., and the Warriors because the rest of it is pretty much set in stone who's going to be in the playing game and who the other top three seeds are going to be. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. 
Breaking down the Western Conference standings, mainly going to be talking about the current four, five, and six seeds, Phoenix, the Warriors, and the Lakers. And look, first of all, the Phoenix Suns are seven and zero in the games that Kevin Durant has played. Currently undefeated. That'll obviously change here at some point. But either way, like that's impressive. Also, not super surprising, especially given Kevin Durant and his skill set, his ability to just plug and play. You can put him in any offensive system, and he can score the basketball because that's just what he does. He's the greatest scorer ever. I will stand by that take. Whoever wants to come take me on, let's go. We can get after it right now. So the top three seeds are set. It's the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Kings. And then the Suns at four, Warriors at five. Clippers are currently sitting in the sixth spot, tied with the Lakers, but currently hold the tiebreaker. Um, Lakers in the seventh spot, Pelicans eight, Timberwolves nine, Thunder at ten. The Dallas Mavericks can still technically make the play-in. They're only half a game back, but if you've watched that team play at all, then you know how terrible they are. If you want to hear reasons on why the Dallas Mavericks will indeed re-sign Kyrie Irving, head over to YouTube, look up the Shooting the Schmidt YouTube channel, and you can find the reasoning for that on there. Now, let's break down the standings. So the Nuggets, they're probably going to end up with the one seed. They're currently two games up. They just have to win one game, and I believe that they'll have it clinched. Grizzlies are probably going to sit in the two spot. They're two games up on the Kings. And then the Kings are four games up on the Suns, so that is clinched. Now, the Suns are two and a half games up on the fifth-seeded Warriors, so it looks like, barring you know a three-game losing streak to end the season, it looks like the Suns are going to have that fourth spot. So the question is, if you're the Phoenix Suns, who do you want to play? The Clippers don't have Paul George, so I'm assuming because of that they're going to drop one of their final games and probably be the seven and have to do all the playing game stuff. And then the Lakers will grab that sixth seed, which is just insane. Looking at where the Lakers started before the All-Star break versus where they're at now. Moving Patrick Beverly and moving Russell Westbrook were the two best things that the Lakers could have done. They finally did it. Okay, now they've got shooters and guys who can defend around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And when Anthony Davis is playing at this level, when Anthony Davis is playing like a top five player in the world, like he's doing right now, this Lakers team is so tough to beat. So tough to beat. And that's why they've won four in a row. Because Anthony Davis is playing at a level that we expect Anthony Davis to play at. Lakers are healthy. LeBron James is slowly getting back into form. The jump shot isn't quite there yet, but he's still finishing around the rim. He's still rebounding. He's still facilitating like we expect LeBron James to do. Jump shot just hasn't quite gotten back into form yet. Give him a few more games and he'll be fine. And then you got the Warriors, who have just kind of been on cruise control all year. You know, they were on cruise control last night. That's why they gave up 79 points in the first half to the Thunder. But then they're like, oh, crap, we gave up 79 points in the first half. Let us actually play defense. And then they they win. They they beat the Thunder last night. And the, the Warriors, they're just they're so interesting. Andrew Wiggins is set to come back soon. They got some young guys who are starting to play. Moses Moody played well last night. Jonathan Kaminga played well last night. You can say, well, Jonathan, it's against the Thunder. The Thunder are looking like a playoff team. They obviously have Steph Curry. They obviously have Klay Thompson, who looks so much better this year compared to last year. 
The question is going to be, how does Andrew Wiggins look when he comes back? He didn't come back last night. Hopefully he can come back within these next couple games. That way he's just not thrown into playoff games. And if he looks like, you know, the Andrew Wiggins that we saw last year, this Warriors team is going to be really scary. This is going to be a team nobody wants to see. But at the same time, if I'm the Phoenix Suns, back to the original question, I would rather play the Warriors in the first round than the Los Angeles Lakers. Simply because Andrew Wiggins isn't going to come back and be amazing. He's going to have to work on his conditioning. Things have to happen in order for this Warriors team to be at that max level. On top of that, the Warriors can't win on the road. They haven't won games on the road all year. Fun fact, the only team in the Western Conference with a winning record on the road is the Sacramento Kings. Every other team has a losing record. So maybe the whole winning on the road thing doesn't really matter, but it does whenever you're the lower seed, which the Warriors would be. If I'm the Suns, I will take those odds. I will go to San Francisco, lose three games on the road because it's tough to go into San Francisco and beat this Warriors team. I will lose those three games and then say, you know what, Golden State, I don't think you can beat me at home because I don't think that they can. If Andrew Wiggins isn't, you know, the Andrew Wiggins that we know that he can be, the Warriors are going to just be missing so much defensively. Gary Payton is back. That's a big thing for them. Like I said, Clay Thompson looks a lot better. That's a big thing for them defensively. Draymond Green is still a good defensive player. He's just an absolute zero on offense. So yeah, if, if I'm the Suns, I, I think I would rather play the late or excuse me, I would rather play the Warriors. The Lakers are just they look really good right now. Like the Lakers look like a team that could legitimately win win an NBA title. They they look that good. We'll see how it ends up falling. So looking at the playing game. First of all, I love the Thunder. I hope the Thunder win. I hope the Thunder win their playing games because I want to see them play more. They're so much fun. I love how young that team is. Love how hard they play. Just a bunch of six, seven dudes running around who can dribble, pass, and shoot. Nothing to see there. They're going to be really good here in a couple years. I mean, they are just—they are so scary. The Timberwolves. I'm so glad for Ant. He's really come along strong. You know, the whole Gobert thing has ended up being okay. Like, they're 40 and 40 right now. You know, they're pretty meh. But we know as soon as they get to the playoffs, the Gobert thing is just like, come on, Gobert, we're going to pay you a whole bunch of money to come sit over here by by all the coaches. So the Timberwolves I'm not too, too excited about. But the Pelicans, very excited about the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram, been tearing up the league here recently. C.J. McCollum, the guy who's got some playoff experience. This Pelicans team as a whole has a lot of playoff experience, despite being so young. You know, went toe-to-toe last year with everybody that they played. Didn't back down. Love that out of them. And then the Zion Williamson comeback is quickly approaching. And if he comes back, now look, obviously he'll be out of shape, very similar to Andrew Wiggins, probably in worse shape than Andrew Wiggins, all things considered. But he's another guy where there's there's no matchup for him. If he can come back and he can give you, you know, 25 minutes of really good basketball, can play decent defense, I mean, this Pelicans team is going to be really, really tough for the Nuggets to match up with. Or, or the Grizzlies to match up with. Either one. I mean, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm so ready 
for playoff basketball to start up. It's almost here. You know, every team's got, you know, I think no more than five games left in their season, and then we're starting it up. We're getting it going. Can't wait. Can't wait to do all, all the NBA draft coverage as well. It's all very quickly approaching. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know it was a lot of basketball. Doing a lot of NFL draft stuff on Friday. I've got JMV coming on the show. Cannot wait to have him on. If you don't know who that is, he hosts an afternoon drive radio show here in Indianapolis. Guy really knows his stuff. Cannot wait to have him on. It's going to be a good one. I will talk to you all on Friday.